Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Already such a great atmosphere in the house that I trust will continue. Well, this is week two of our series. Oh, way juniors are gone. Bye. <laughs> Unwrapping the gifts. And uh, we're um, looking at how in the New Testament there are three distinct listings or groupings of gifts mentioned. And it talks about in the New Testament seven motivational gifts uh, given by the Father himself since birth, which is found in Romans chapter 12. Then there's another group of gifts of five ascension gifts given by Christ in all his generosity found in Ephesians chapter 4. And then nine spiritual gifts, which is for next week, given by Holy Spirit to make the triune nature of God complete in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as an overview, yes, ascension gifts are a calling. Motivational gifts are who we are. And spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he wills and directs, not as humans will and direct, when we make ourselves available to God. Anything could happen and often does with the Holy Spirit. Well, last week I left you with a scenario to think about about how motivational gifts worked. Um, we, we talked about the restaurant scene, remember? Then we all went out to the restaurant and we didn't have anyone drop anything there, don't worry, with that scenario <laughs> that I was aware of. But I said, go home and think about what would happen if we were going to plant another church, all right? So we was not enough, we're going to plant another church. And we're going to get seven people to come and sit at this team table and imagine that each one of those seven people actually were very, very high, almost exclusively high in just one of each of the seven motivational gifts. And we were thinking, what would actually be talked about around that table? What would be the thing that would be most important in this ideal new church plant that these seven people were talking about? Well, if you have a gift of insight or a gift of prophecy where you see things and then you say it, for you in that new perfect church, it might be well-prepared sermons that actually expose sin and emphasise righteousness and judgement. That might be a very high priority for you if you are a very high insight prophecy person. For those that have a gift of serving, you say, no, 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 mate. <laughs> At this new church, it's so important. The most important thing we need to use our available resources of time, income and personnel to do is to make sure that every single member of the church has the practical assistance that they, they need. And it's really important that we actually help support our leaders do what they do. That would be the most important thing to a server. To someone with the gift of teaching, that's a, no, 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 first week we open, we have to have an in-depth Bible study. In particular, we'll do some great study in the Hebrew and the Greek on the root meaning of the words that are there. That's because that's the power, that's the truth, that's the first thing that we need to do. Then a person who has a gift of giving says, okay, enough of that. What's the mission program? I want to raise money so that we can give to missions and I want to make sure that there's always resource so that we can do great church ministry. The person with the gift of giving to them, that is what's important. 
then the person with a gift of leadership or sometimes called administration will say, yeah, that's great, guys, love the input, but you know what, the smooth and, and um, organised running of the church is what's important and things need to be done in order and uh, we really need to focus on building team and building up other leaders. And the person with a gift of mercy at that seat at the table would say, that's all great, guys, but do you know what? We really need to make sure that we reserve our best effort, our best energy, our best resources for outreach and to always never forget the individual as we do this group or corporate thing. And you know what? We just always have to be ready at the drop of a hat to meet an individual's need. So that's our round table for the perfect church. Would you like to suggest to me which is the most important viewpoint at that table? All of them. And it depends who you ask what the most important viewpoint is. And yes, all of them are gifted <laughs> in the body to function together. That's how it's meant to happen. And it's interesting because if we really think about it, we can probably see that we probably tend to favour what should happen in church life based on what our own motivation is. And so it's important that we guard against a tunnel vision and not just thinking, well, there's only one thing that has to happen or only one way to do things. And even further, never to get critical because some things seem to be more important to someone else than they do to you. And even more so to make sure when we're reflecting on our motivational gifts or others that we never weaponise our gift or use it as a battering ram for someone else because they don't fit the model of our motivational gift or vice versa. And, you know, it's important as well when we're talking about motivational gifts, just to review where we went last week, is to never make an excuse um, because your motiv motivational gift is something. Like, you know, if you can say, oh, I'm not called to serve, sorry, I couldn't help you pick up the shopping that you just dropped. <laughs> you know, like, obviously, as a leader, I want to make sure that people are functioning at their best, the best version of who they are and to be in their gifting. But at times, all of us step out even if you're not a mercy person, there is still time to show mercy at times. You know, even if you wouldn't say you're a great giver, there are times where you'll probably surprise yourself. You'll exceed your own expectations and you'll give like anyone with a gift of giving. But it's important... Excuse me, it's very hot up here actually, which is good because I thought it was going to be freezing. <laughs> it's important to step back and be aware of others' gifts as well as your own, and to recognise, I think it was Mando who yelled out, we actually need them all functioning in the church. There is unity within diversity. And whilst someone with a gift of leadership may play a pivotal role to draw it all together and make sure that it's all functioning well, at the end of the day, they can only do with what they've got and people need to bring their gift to the table with a spirit of cooperation. And that's why one of our values here at Way Church is gifted service. Well, moving on. So I think we've all got a handle off the motivational gifts. Speaking of another aspect of gifted service, today we're going to talk about the ascension gifts, as they're known, or the five-fold ministry gifts. And look, there's so much that I could talk about on this topic, but I want to give you the broad brushstrokes, the big picture, so when you walk away from today's message, or if you're watching it online later, you'll have a good grasp on what it's all about. 
Now, Ephesians 4 tells us that Christ, when he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven, in his generosity, gave gifts to the church. And when God came to earth and he laid aside his divinity in the man Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth, he voluntarily was bound by space and time, right? You know, he ministered within the confines of this planet. But the cool thing was, was that when he ascended, he actually moved beyond space and time and he dispersed his graces to the church that was emerging and the church that was continuing everywhere over time so that those individuals gifted with those graces could continue to build the church. And this topic kind of excites me because I'm a church lover, I'm a church builder. I serve in the church, I work in the church and uh, I love meditating on Christ in his generosity, dispersing his gifts as he ascended. And so Ephesians 4 verse 11 says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, please note that these offices or graces, they are actually nouns. They are not adjectives like um, are described in other parts of scripture about how people do things or what they're like. It is actually referring to the person, not the gift itself. The graced individual, the apostle, the prophet, etc., are actually gifted to the church and they are specially placed in the body so that all will benefit, not so that they can be some special, you know, hyper-spiritual professional person, but so that all will be blessed and benefited. And uh, anyone who has positioned themselves in the church will actually benefit from the ministry, the fivefold ministry to be exact. And uh, particularly if they enter into the work program set out by their father. I think, I don't hear about a work program, but this is what it says. I'm not making it up. In verse 12 and 13 of Ephesians 4, their responsibility, those with the ascension gift or fivefold ministry gift, is to do all the work themselves. Is that what it says? No. It says, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and, in the Lord, and mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Do I have an amen? Thank you, Roderick, in your country accent. That's awesome. <laughs> and here's the truth. You and I, not me, not you, can ever individually fully express Christ in the church. Not on our own, but together we can. That's how it's meant to function. And these five graces or callings are actually key features of Christ's ministry when he was here on earth. And he, in effect, when he left, gave his ministry to church builders to continue and thereby his people to continue. I hope you've caught that. It's not just some random selection of things, you know, apostle, prophet, all that all sounds very spiritual. It's actually the ministry of Christ that he has bequeathed to his people to continue with. Maybe that's why it says, apart from the fact that there's a cross, <laughs> that, that, you know, greater things than these you will do than what I have done because he's actually passing on his ministry to his people. And I don't mean the ministry 
of reconciliation in the terms that we, we're not dying on the cross. That's done. That work is complete. Don't misunderstand me. Not the work of the cross, but the work of the ministry after the cross. So I hope that's clear. But please note, just to put all this in context, that this group of five uh, gifts or callings that are listed was written for a particular audience. And so presumably Paul was the one that wrote the letter to the Ephesians. And he was actually writing to the Christians um, or the new emerging church there. And he was basically explaining to them, these are the types of leaders that you're going to be encountering in this emerging church. And uh, they would have actually been familiar with him as their apostle as well. So that was the context. And um, he basically is explaining, just as I explained before, that to the church, you need these five expressions, these callings to be balanced. And remember too, the New Testament hadn't been all put together by then and bound in leather and the bits that Jesus said highlighted in red. (laughs) That had not happened yet. And so Paul, when he's writing to the Ephesians, uses the scripture that's in parchment and bound up and you can access that's already there. And he actually references, if you want to have a look at it a bit later on, Psalm 68, 18. And uh, that's that bit just before, I think it's in verse 8, I think you'll find of Ephesians chapter 4, where he says, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and he gave gifts to his people. Because this image here that Paul is borrowing or referencing from the psalm, Psalm 68, paints a great picture of a monarch or a royal ruler who ascends their throne with all the authority that that entails, not just vertically climbing up the steps because, you know, the throne's up there, but that they actually have authority in that role. And so that's the picture that you should have in your head of this great, as he ascended, like think of like royalty that is distributing gifts that were in his power. I like that image anyway. Anyone else like that image? Oh, good. Very good. Okay, and so the context of this chapter is diversity within unity. And we'll probably finish with that context, which is at the beginning of Ephesians 4, at the close of the service. But I just want us to realise that it doesn't necessarily um, denote uh, diversity how we think of in a modern sense, where, you know, we can't kind of have that thing where we have like tokenism, we'll have the token ethnicity group or genders represented as a token thing. Um, that's actually not what diversity means in this passage. Diversity in unity in this passage means that all are honoured and represented in the growing church. There's no tokenism about it. There's no paying lip service. It's that they genuinely are encouraged to flourish together. So, we'll take a quick closer look at these graces. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. And uh, I'm going to show you a quick memory device. If you put up your hand, I know there's one there. (laughs) It's a fat hand, (laughs) stretched out. So that you can easily learn or remember these five-fold ministry gifts. Because you can get a bit lost. Hang on, there's a seven, the five, the nine. But we're just going to nail the five this morning, all right? And if you want to sing in your head the the childhood song, where is, well, I say thumb man, but I think Jane, we were singing it. We weren't singing. Don't don't put that on the tape. (laughs) Uh, Where is Thumpkin? You know that childhood song, uh, which I can't sing now? Um, Yeah, that's the tune that you can do this to if you like. So if you put up your thumb... This guy, Thumb Man, is easy to remember as Apostle. 
he's pivotal because notice the thumb can touch, most people can touch all the other fingers with their thumb. And this is kind of what an apostle does. They've got their thumb, I was going to say their finger, but they've got their thumb (laughs) in a good way, not like that, on all the aspects of church life and the other callings because they're called to govern a person with this calling. And the Greek word apostolos translates apostle and it means one sent forth or a sent one. Maybe it's a picture of like when the Richies moved up from Wagga to Narrabri, sent forth. There's a picture. It does denote some change in geography at times and particularly in the early church. Apostles actually did travel or move and establish churches and often with signs and wonders accompanying them. And uh, people with the gift, thumb men, people who are gifted apostles, um, are, are anointed to build and establish churches and to resource Christians to actually accomplish the will of God in their life. And there's different um, portions of that or reach, like some may be called to be an apostle just in a small localised area, some to bigger areas. You know, that's all up to the will and wisdom of God. But you don't always have to... I just want you to disabuse yourself of a picture that an apostle has to be some megastar or some, you know, great, the man of God or the woman of God. Well, hopefully they are those things in, you know, in their um, devotion to him. But that, yeah, it probably, in, as it was written in the New Testament, it's probably got nothing to do with some of the assumptions or stereotypes that we have in our mind. That's just a suggestion. And uh, as I said earlier, the fivefold ministry gift actually re- reflects on Christ's ministry and who he was and how he acted when he was on earth. And we know that Jesus himself is referred to in um, Hebrews 3 verse 1 as the apostle and elsewhere in scripture as the chief cornerstone. And so when he ascended, he actually called others to be apostles on the earth as well. Then there's a prophet. This is the pointer. The prophet that's gifted to the church in that special function that's beyond just the motivational gift they see stuff. They may actually have a very special calling uh, to, to operate in that way that's more than just instinct or whatever, but it's more in directing church life perhaps. Their job is to point out the need for God to the unsaved and, of course, to the saved and to help guide the church. Now, the prophetic has sometimes, or the prophet of God, (laughs) has sometimes been misrepresented. Sometimes in modern church life, there's been use and abuse of power or, you know, they can get sometimes a bad rap. Maybe they've even been sidelined as weird by some people. But do you know what? The prophet is needed for the church. The fivefold ministry gifts are all needed, the prophet in particular as well. Then, of course, there's tall man, which is the evangelist. Now, I'm not going to turn my hand around and demonstrate tall man, or otherwise that would be sending a very different signal, which is not what we want at all. But tall man, he's the longest of all your fingers, mostly, right? Sometimes our hands are a bit quirky. If if it's not longest for you, it's okay. You're still beautifully and wonderfully made. But in general, tall man is the longest of your fingers on your hand. And so that's a good way to remember that the evangelist is called to reach out to the lost, essentially. And evangelists are literally those who share the good news. Philip was called the evangelist in Acts 21.8. And uh, you can read later at home about 
how he actually shared the gospel with the court official from Ethiopia or eunuch as he's known. I just love reading that, that story in the Bible. But you can have a read of it later on if you like. And of course, we know that Timothy in the Bible was called to do, it says, not be the evangelist, but to do the work of an evangelist. And it's important to make that distinction because that's in 2 Timothy 4.5. So often we'll say, I'm no great apostle evangelist. I can't share my faith. But the Bible says clearly through all sorts of uh, scenarios, but also specifically here, no, we can all do the work of an evangelist and share the good news, which is simply sharing about how our God uh, connected with our story and sharing that with somebody else. That's all we need to do. Um, This calling, of course, emanates from Christ himself because Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost, and he is the ultimate evangelist. So it's not surprising that when he ascended, this is one of the callings that he gifted the church with. Next one, uh, the pastor or the ring man. And uh, what does the ring denote? Marriage, commitment, covenant, doesn't it? And coming up, um, actually less than three months, I'll be marrying Connor and Sarah and have shown me the beautiful rings that they've selected and, and that's beautiful. And, you know, it's a great image to think of the wedding when we're thinking of the pastor because really um, a pastor is committed to the church. They want to guard and protect the bride. And pastors are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, probably as elders, sometimes bishops. And they, um, at the time of the early church, they led local congregations or even groups of house churches. And of course, the pastor's heart comes from Christ himself because it says in John 10, 14, that Jesus proclaimed himself the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. Then last but not least, you've got your little finger or pinky. There's pinky. This is where is Pinky? There he is. <laughs> and they say, this is not my analogy. I did make up uh, the, the body one, but not this one. So if you don't like this, if it gets a bit lame, blame it on somebody else. But the Pinky is meant to unblock your ear. That's, that's, that's what, how you remember that one. And the job of a teacher, a truly called teacher, <laughs> is to get the earwax out of the church. <laughs> okay. And clarify the truth. Um, Teachers are those with the ability to effectively communicate God's word to others. And all pastors must have the ability to teach, but it doesn't mean that all teachers are always pastors in in how we think of it or um, in that shepherding role that we sometimes think that's what a pastor should do. They should just, you know, love on me and listen to me 24 hours a day. No, in fact, sometimes the, the, I think the, the Greek structure for the word teacher actually is quite close to shepherd too. So there's a real role. It's not just a touchy-feely thing, but there's a real role for a teacher to guide people and protect them through making sure the truth of the word is expounded because we can't go wrong if we have the truth in our midst. And, of course, Jesus was known as the rabbi when he walked the earth. The multitudes were amazed by his teaching, and he was known in Matthew 7, 28 as one who would just teach with such amazing authority. And, of course, he is the word made flesh. So, of course, he is the greatest teacher we'll ever have. Are you with me? Awesome. Say g'day to someone while I have another drink of water. (laughs) 
there's one in every crowd, isn't there, Troy? <laughs> someone said g'day to someone. Anyway, you with me? Right. So thinking about a model for church then. People often like to talk about a model for church life. Like, what should it look like? And we were always very quick to reference Acts 2.42, right, when we're saying this is what church should look like. And understandably so. Um, you know, and that's the part in Scripture where it talks about the believers being devoted um, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And um, it's a bit sad at the moment that it's harder for us to have a meal together and even to partake of the Lord's Supper at the moment because of our restrictions. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. But, you know, this is a great passage and in no way to take away from that's relevant, its relevance to church life. It does describe believers forming the community, the early church community, and what that actually looked like. But could I suggest, don't forget Ephesians 4.11 as well. So where Acts 2.42 is the day-to-day practice of the early church, Ephesians 4.11 actually gives us the all-important backstory. It gives us the revelation that the early church fathers clearly had and Paul had, that it was actually how Christ himself structured the church according to apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher and he actually wanted the church to be equipped with those five pillars. So yes, it's about sharing a meal. Yes, it's about, you know, um, being connection and all those things but it's also about those five pillars. And um, I like to think of it a little bit as if you think of a constitution with its office bearers that undergirds or underpins the church. That is what the fivefold ministry is. So just a couple of things. The church universal should not only be about building up pastors and leaders, right? Because that's only like just one aspect of the fivefold ministry. The church universal and our local church or churches need to be about recognising the five-fold ministry gifts in our planning. And uh, these are things that are not just um, self-identified. Like it's good if, if we've gone through this, you've probably sat there and thought there might be a couple in the room who think, you know, I actually think I'm called to the church with for that thing. That's great. But normally um, a five-fold ministry gift is actually recognised by others and called out by others as well. And there's fruit to that ministry and evidence that individuals are graced in those different areas. But if you guys want to come up, I'm just going to finish with a few takeaways and then we'll finish with some scripture. So I hope that that was a great balanced overview for you to understand the ascension gifts. But here's some takeaways from all that I've shared this morning. Firstly, the fivefold ministry gifts were not a random bunch of words thought up by God or plucked out of the air by Paul. But Jesus himself gave his ministry to serve the church with as he ascended so that we could be serving with those things. He was very intentional and he is the greatest apostle, the greatest prophet, evangelist, shepherd and teacher. And he dispersed these callings and graces to church builders. And it's important that we honour and integrate all different graces into the church universal and into our local church body. And leadership at local churches, at multi-site campuses, at mega churches, at regional level, at state and national organisation like ACC, part of a wider movement. 
always needs to be open to making sure that there are the five midfold ministry gifts are in operation and they're welcomed. And so the other thing I'll say, a, couple, a few more takeaways is this. Ascension gifts, as I said, is not about the superstars. That's automatically people shift into that thinking and it's really great to cite the great evangelist Billy Graham or the great, you know, prophet such and such and there's nothing wrong with that. But let's not be distracted by the fact that ascension gifts are a body ministry. Not one individual can bring a complete, mature or perfect expression of Christ. This can only be fulfilled together as a body and not even just our church. Our church doesn't have a monopoly on it, but the wider church. And so that's why it's actually good when we do have at times visiting ministry, um, not that our church is lacking, but you just never know when there's people gifted in the wider body of what they could bring a fullness to our expression um, here. And I, I know that we are blessed in this church and in our region to have all fivefold ministry in evidence and represented. And so the goal is unity and maturity uh, so that we can have a, a complete expression of Christ. Because ultimately, we're meant to grow up into his will and purpose. And just the last thing to say on that is that people with a ministry gift on their life are actually not called to do all the work of the ministry themselves. They're actually meant to equip the believers to partner in that ministry. And I am running out of breath this morning. <laughs> so, or my voice. So I just will finish with this great passage of scripture. It's almost like... A benediction then if you like and it's actually at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4 I've saved the beginning to the end and it says this it's, I think there's a sub a subheading in many versions called unity in the body but we'll dive in therefore I a therefore I a prisoner for serving the Lord this is Paul speaking beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God always be humble and gentle be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all and living through all. Can we say amen, church? Amen.